ancient Egypt, a region, an era that has fascinated people for thousands of years and remains a favorite subject for ancient alien theories. It is a vast field and a subject that we know quite a lot about, but at the same time, it also remains very much a mystery to us. It is a civilization that lasted for over 3,000 years and went through many changes and evolutions, so any kind of generalizations are of course very hard to make. But at the same time, in spite of this incredibly long span of time, the ancient Egyptian civilization showcases an impressive amount of cultural uh, continuity. If you look at art from the Old Kingdom, around 2000 BC, and then you look at art from the New Kingdom, which is millennia later, you'll probably recognize both of them as ancient Egyptian. The religious tradition of ancient Egypt is also similarly consistent. We find many of the most central deities throughout all of these periods, from the Old Kingdom to the New Kingdom and Roman period. As most of you probably know, the ancient Egyptian worshipped a whole host of different deities. It could be termed a polytheistic religion. There's a bunch of different gods, everything from Ra, the god of the sun, Horus, which is the falcon god, there is Osiris, god of the underworld, and so on. For example, the sun god Ra could take on different forms. One of the most popular, especially during the New Kingdom period, was in a form called Ra Horakti, and this was depicted as a falcon with a sun disk on his head. This is probably the most common depiction of Ra uh, in all of ancient Egypt. This is very important to remember that the sun god in general could be depicted in different forms with different names and so on while still remaining the, the god of the sun. The events that we will talk about today takes place during the so-called New Kingdom. So ancient Egypt is usually divided into the Old Kingdom, the Middle Kingdom, and the New Kingdom, with various intermediate periods in between. The so-called New Kingdom took place from around the 16th to the 11th centuries BC. In particular, what we will focus on today is a period in which the 18th dynasty of Egypt ruled from the capital called Thebes. This is like basically at the height of ancient Egyptian civilization. It was a time when the empire was at its largest in terms of size and also most powerful in terms of politics and, and culture and so on. It was a time of huge flourishing for Egypt. The pharaoh who ruled this vast empire went by the name Amenhotep III and ruled roughly between 1386 to 1349 BC. The religious reform that is the subject of this video wouldn't be instigated until the time of his son, but Amenhotep III still serves as a great kind of introduction and prologue to the events that will happen later. You see, during the rule of this great pharaoh, all the other gods, the usual gods, were still worshipped as usual, but it seems that the sun god in particular had been given an unusually exalted and important position during his reign. The sun was the god of gods, was the creator of all the other gods, and all of creation depended on the sun, on its rising each morning. As was customary, the sun god was worshipped under many different names and forms, and the most prominent was of course Amun and Ra, or Amun-Ra, uh, or also Ra Horakti as his name was, uh, and the most common way to depict the sun god was, as I said, as a falcon with a sun disk on his head. Another common name to refer to the sun, or specifically to the disk of the sun itself, was the name Aten, a form of depiction and name which had become increasingly popular at the time of Amenhotep III, and we will return to this pretty soon. 
What is significant about Amenhotep III and his reign, at least in terms of religion, is the very strong focus that was placed on the sun god in particular, what scholars have come to call the new solar theology. Uh, what's also interesting is that by the end of his reign, Amenhotep may have started to identify himself with the sun god. Now, the pharaohs were always seen as divine in some way and as being the sons of Ra, but Amenhotep III seems to have taken this relationship even further. He identified himself as the sun god in a more direct way, you could say. Egyptologist Raymond Johnson, among others, have argued that Amenhotep III was indeed deified to an unusual degree in the last years of his reign, identifying himself with the sun god and being referred to unambiguously as, quote, the dazzling Aten. So in any case, Amenhotep III isn't the main character of our story today. He dies around the year 1349 BC and is succeeded by his son, the new pharaoh, with the very creative name Amenhotep IV. And he would instigate a complete reform of the Egyptian religious, artistic, and literary world, and would be responsible for one of the most dramatic religious revolutions in all of history. This new pharaoh, Amenhotep IV, immediately shows a clear favoritism towards the sun god, and in particular in the form of Aten, the sun disk. During his early reign, he built temples to the Aten at Karnak, the great temple complex in Thebes, but the old god still existed. It wasn't, as some have assumed, that he completely removed all other gods from existence, at least not right away. But he does showcase a clear interest in the Aten as the most exalted of all of the gods. During the first couple of years of this new pharaoh's reign, he would gradually implement some of his revolutionary ideas. The Aten, as we have seen, had been a pretty common name and form of the sun god previously, but he was given a completely new identity and role under the reign of Amenhotep IV. The Egyptologist Eric Horning writes that, quote, It is as though the Aten suddenly emerged from the traditional form of the sun god and then quickly shed the last vestiges of his origin. It is thought that it was around the years 3 to 5 of his reign that the new pharaoh started to seriously implement his reforms of Egyptian society, and this included a gradual but complete shift in religion, but also in art, literature, language, and administration. The Aten became more and more pronounced as the most important and exalted god, and in the new temples was starting to be depicted in a new way. Instead of the classic falcon-headed god, the Aten was now being depicted without any anthropomorphic features. Instead, he was depicted as just a sun disk with his rays shining down on earth. It was also around this time that the pharaoh decided to change his name. He was no longer to be known as Amenhotep IV, which contained the name of the god Amun, was a lesser god according to him. Instead, he would take on a new name, which fitted better to his new religious orientation and is the name that most people would come to know him by from then on, and that name was Akhenaten. As if this wasn't enough, Akhenaten also decided to move his capital city from Thebes and instead build a whole new city in a remote location in Middle Egypt. He called the new city Akhet Aten, the horizon of the Aten. It was a city that was to be entirely dedicated to the new central god. The city was strategically surrounded by mountains and would serve as the headquarters of Akhenaten's new vision for Egypt. 
Arkitaten was built with a new solar cult in mind. Everything was planned according to it. The traditional form of the temple, with an inside and a closed-up dark space or holy of holies in which the figure of the god stood, was completely replaced uh, by temples that had no roof at all. Instead, they were open to the light of the sun, or in other words, the Aten, the god, and thus they turned the sun itself into the idol of the god, and the temple was built around the present of the actual sun by remaining open to the sky. If you've played the video game Assassin's Creed Origins, and specifically a DLC called The Curse of the Pharaohs, you can actually visit Akit Aten in a kind of dream world. But in this game, they've actually recreated the open roof form of the temples in a very accurate way. This form of the temple, of course, made sense from a religious point of view, but in a practical sense, it wasn't maybe the greatest ideas, as many of the workers and slaves who were in the temple had to withstand incredible heat without any shade for most of the day. We even have complaints from the Assyrian king at the time, who claimed that his emissaries were left to, quote, die under the sun as they visited the pharaoh. The reason that Akhenaten decided to build a new city was probably that he wanted to be able to carry out his new forms and religious uh, ideas in an unhindered way. He, of course, hadn't been without his critics back in Thebes. Many of the uh, priests of the old gods and some of the, the political adversaries were not very happy with him, and so one of the reasons he built this new city was to escape many of those enemies. By building a new city in a remote location, he was able to start fresh. Without temples to other gods and their priests, he could dedicate the whole city and all of his time to the Aten. For the rest of his reign, Akhenaten would rule with his family from the city Akhet Aten. Estimates show that the population of the city in general may have been between 50 to 100,000. Very impressive for that short amount of time. But this brings us to the actual religion and the cultural reforms that the pharaoh carried out. What was this new religion? How different was it from the traditional Egyptian religion? And can it be called monotheism? As most people know, and as we've already talked about, Akhenaten's entire religion revolved around the god Aten, depicted as the sun disk. But this has led to some confusion with people assuming that the god himself is the physical disk of the sun. But this isn't necessarily true. Instead, Eric Hornung and many other scholars argue that the Aten isn't actually the sun disk, but the light that the sun emits. Hornung himself writes, quote, The Aten was not actually the sun disk, but rather the light that is in the sun, and which radiating from it calls the world to life and keeps it alive. So, Atenism can essentially be said to be a religion of light. And this becomes especially clear when we read the basically only surviving text of the religion, which is the famous great hymn to the Aten, which is said to have been composed by the pharaoh himself. It is a very fascinating text that is too long to quote from here, but I have made a video where I read this entire text, which you can find on my channel. But in this text, the Aten is praised as the universal light which gives life to all of the world. And thus, he is not a particular local god of Egypt. He is actually a universal god, which was also a very radical idea at the time. But with these basics established, what was different about this new religion? Well, for one thing, the Aten was very distant. Uh, not only was he not depicted in any anthropomorphic ways at all, but he was also completely silent and unreachable by regular people. 
There was no divine revelation to follow, there was no statues to worship, and really no direct way at all for the general population to be in contact with this god. Instead, Akhenaten exalted his own position in the religion beyond what any other pharaoh had before him. Because of his inaccessibility, there were no priests of the Aten at all. There was only one priest, in fact, and that was Akhenaten himself. Akhenaten saw himself as the beloved son of the Aten, but not in the usual way that pharaohs would be the sons of gods. Akhenaten viewed himself as the son of the Aten in a much more personal way. The Aten was literally his father. And this has led some scholars to speculate just how literal this is intended to be. As we talked about in the beginning, Akhenaten's father, the previous pharaoh Amenhotep III, had begun to identify himself with the sun god at the end of his reign. And this of course raises the question, is the Aten actually the deified version of Akhenaten's literal earthly father? Is the Aten another form of Amenhotep III? It's a theory, but it's a serious one that many scholars are contemplating. In any case, Akhenaten's role in this new religion was very central and important, um, since no regular person, aside from Akhenaten himself, could actually reach this god. The only way they could talk to him or, or worship Aten in any way was through Akhenaten. In this way, for the regular person in the city, the object of worship wasn't actually the Aten itself, but Akhenaten and his royal family. The pharaoh, along with his wife, the very famous Nefertiti, became like a divine trinity. The Aten, the single god and father, and his two divine offspring, Akhenaten and Nefertiti, all ruling together. And this is also the reason why other aspects of Egyptian society was completely reformed as well, and especially art. Uh, the art of the Amarna period, as this period of his rule is often uh, called, is very unusual. It is unlike anything that had come before or would really come afterwards. Not only was religious art changed entirely, since none of the traditional gods were depicted anymore, and the new central god Aten had only one way of being depicted, as a sun disk with its rays reaching down to the pharaoh and his family, the way that humans were depicted changed dramatically too. The incredibly strange way that Akhenaten himself is depicted in the art of this period has been the subject of many uh, discussions and great speculation. Uh, whereas previous pharaohs all look pretty much the same, with an ideal kind of face and body form, Akhenaten looks, to put it simply, bizarre. Uh, this has led people to think that he may have been sick or physically deformed. Others have speculated that he was a female or even an alien, of course. In general ways, the motifs and scenes that are depicted in the Amarna period art is also very unusual and stands out to a large degree. Uh, for example, depictions of the royal family is very intimate, unusually intimate. You can see uh, Nefertiti and Akhenaten playing with their children, being very loving and affectionate towards each other, even kissing, and this would have been completely unthinkable in previous periods. Now, we can speculate all day as to why these radical innovations were made. Most likely it had something to do with the new religion and the fact that the royal family played an important role in this new religion. Since no regular person could reach the Aten, it was the royal family, the images of the royal family that people turned to in their religious devotion. And so this is probably a, a very significant factor in this artistic change. 
so this brings us to that very central and important question. Could Akhenaten's religion be seen as monotheistic? Um, was Aten considered the only god in existence? There isn't actually scholarly consensus on this matter. Uh, people have different opinions and views on how much of a monotheism this actually was. What is clear is that a few years into Akhenaten's reign, a great persecution of other gods, aside from the Aten, started to take place. These attacks were aimed primarily at the previous chief god Amun, or Amun-Ra, who suffered a serious blow during this period. Other gods other than Amun suffered as well, but with much less consistency and to a lesser degree. But statues of other gods were destroyed, names of gods were chipped away from monuments, and so in a lot of places it seems that there was an attempt to eradicate other gods that were not the Aten. This points to the idea that Akhenaten considered the Aten to be the only god that was to be worshipped. The new city that he had founded was dedicated entirely to the Aten, and in other places in Egypt, names and, and depictions of other gods were being destroyed. It seems like a systematic change from a polytheism to worshipping only one god. But was the Aten the only god that existed in the world, or was he the only god that was to be worshipped? There is a difference here, of course, and this is a much harder question to answer. There is also the question of how strict of a monotheism it was, since it features that kind of idea of a trinity between Aten, Akhenaten, and Nefertiti. And so there are a lot of questions here that makes this very hard to answer. To put it shortly, I think it is somewhat legitimate to call Akhenaten's religion monotheistic. Uh, a lot of the religious texts seem to point to this idea, and also of course the fact that other gods were destroyed systematically, but I also think that calling this religion monotheistic can be somewhat anachronistic. It is projecting ideas about how religion works today back onto a culture, a context that is completely different, completely foreign. This is 3,000 years ago. This must be kept in mind, of course. Religion functioned in a completely different way back in ancient Egypt, and terms like monotheism, polytheism is relatively new terms that we use to describe religions as we view them today. And this can create problems if we try to apply that to ancient Egypt in this way. I think the best thing to do is to look at it as a unique expression of religion in history, one that we will surely find out more about as the research on the subject continues. There is archaeologists working and finding new things all the time. It's an incredibly fascinating field. Regardless, the fact that it could be considered a monotheistic religion is of course very significant and important. It raises questions as to how much of a ripple effect this may have caused for later events in history. Some have even speculated that there is a connection between Atenism and later Judaism, and that Moses was supposedly a priest of the Aten who had to flee and then went to the Holy Land, and, and so on. Um, many have also pointed out the very strong similarities between the great hymn to the Aten and sections of the Bible, in particular Psalm 104. Now, personally, I am very skeptical of these kinds of theories, but it's always fun to speculate and, and wonder about it. Akhenaten's religion of light did not outlast him. He died around the year 1335 BC and was succeeded by what is perhaps his son uh, called Tutankhaten. And a few years into his reign, he changed his name to the much more famous Tutankhamun. 
and Tutankhamun would reverse most of the changes that his father had made and thus returned Egypt to the traditional religion. It was a very short-lived revolution. Akhenaten became seen by later generations as a kind of heretic and his reign as a strange nightmare. Uh, his names and depictions of him was also systematically removed from many monuments afterwards in an attempt to simply erase him from history. It wasn't until the 20th century when this strange pharaoh and his very short-lived religion was rediscovered by archaeologists. His enemies had done a pretty good job of erasing him from the historical record, but we today learn more and more about this very fascinating figure as the research uh, develops over time. So this video, if not already somewhat outdated, could be completely irrelevant in just a few years if new significant discoveries are made. But until then, at least, I hope this has been an interesting introduction to one of the most unusual pharaohs and leaders ever, and into a religion that may very well be the first example of monotheism in world history. I'll see you next time.